0: Been praying for you this morning. Our team has been, and Mark and I got to pray for you this morning. And good grief, I think the Lord certainly is working. I can sense it this morning here with you. Well, this uh, this last fall, I was uh, blessed with the opportunity to do a little travel, and my family had planned. We we saved, and we went to. I don't know if you've ever been to many national forests, but we went to Sequoia National Forest. Have you been there before? There we go. Great. Big fans <laughs> to Northern California, went to Sequoia, and they have the most massive trees, A bigger. I mean, I'd heard, but I really couldn't have imagined. You can drive cars through them. There's one tree in particular called the General Sherman tree, and it is by wood mass the biggest tree on planet Earth. Like, I don't know, like, how do you fathom this kind of thing? It's over 2,000 years old. I mean, who knows back then? I mean, we don't have great records, but it's ridiculous. Re- Ridiculous how big this thing is. I was thinking about this when we were there. Do you remember how when you would go to a place to see a thing that was awesome, you would go and you would just like you go, Wow, look at that. You know, we're having this moment. Like, but today, when you go to a place and you see a thing, you look at it and you go, Wow, I should take a picture of myself. And then you do, you 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 get your phone out and then you're like looking at you and you're in the center and you fill the frame and then there's this little tree in the background and you go how amazing is this picture of me (laughs) you know and and I, I was thinking about that and how even 15 or 20 years ago, if I was always taking selfies, pictures of myself, and saying, everybody, you got to see these pictures of me here and me there and me at lunch and me at coffee, me with my friend, me on vacation, me at my house because I was just bored, how you would go, What is wrong with this guy? Like, he is such a jerk and he's so full of himself. And you probably use the word narcissist. He's a narcissist. But now you just say, it's social media and it's, it's Facebook and it's Instagram and it's TikTok and it's just normal. We don't even think about it. We create these spaces where we, it's all about us. We fill it with our ideas and our opinions and the things that I like and pictures of me looking my very best and it, no one thinks twice about it at all. And it made me think about this in 2 Timothy 3. Listen to this. It says, in the last days, People will be lovers of selfies, I mean, of self. People will be lovers of self. And it's, it's amazing. It's talking about not just out there in the world. It's talking about in the church. In the last days, we will become consumed with ourselves. The church, church people, it's going to get really bad in the last days because we're going to walk around and even come into this place consumed with ourselves. And I would be willing to bet that 90% of us did that this morning. We came in thinking about. Ourselves, So we got up and it was cold. And we're like, how do I feel? Do I want to go when I get there? I hope the food that they have is good today. Where did they get the tacos from? I don't like Taco Cabana. They should have gotten it from somewhere else. Where am I going to sit? Who will I sit with? We share leadership a lot. And you go, well, who's leading worship today? Will they do songs that I like? Will they be in my key? Will I be able to sing them? And who's teaching today? Will he bring a message that I enjoy? Me! And we think about it. I, I realize this. The most miserable people I know are people who can't get out of selfie mode. I've learned that about myself, and I've learned it as I've watched people and done ministry over the years. The people who are the most miserable are the people who are stuck and cannot get out of selfie mode. And we, we would never call it being narcissists, because that seems extreme and harsh and awful. So we just say, well, I have preferences. You know, I like things a certain way. I prefer things this way, and I don't prefer things that way. And then if we want to be cute about it, we say we have these little pets that I bring along with me. They're my pet peeves. And they're not dangerous. They're not going to take you out, but they're a little annoying. And they're my my pet peeves. And, and really, the problem is that, is that no one, when we're always thinking about me, no one can get out of, out of the, 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 the vision of everything that I do and everyone that I see matters as much as they matter to me. And no one can live up to your standard. Do you realize that? When you think that way, Jesus Christ himself could show up. It could be the second coming, and we would all look up in the sky, and some of you would go, I thought he'd be a little taller. And I saw pictures. I thought he had blue eyes and like flowing hair. I don't. And he'd start preaching and you'd be like, ah, you know, that's a little long-winded, Jesus. Don't you think? Because this guy can do it in 10 minutes. i surely master teacher. And a choir of angels would come along and you'd go, I don't really like that song. It's kind of an old one. And we don't do those songs in our church, choir of angels. And nothing would live up to our standards, ever. Because we're always thinking about me and what I, I prefer. I found this, there's this little button on your phone. I don't know if yours has this. Mine, it's in the bottom right corner when you're in the phone app. It's pretty amazing. Right here, I press it and it's no longer facing me. It's not in, cel- it turns selfie mode off. And the really cool thing about it is I can't simultaneously be in the picture and see myself. you may have it, bottom right corner, take a look next time you're on on your phone, and you literally cannot see yourself anymore when you press that button. And I do think that that is is one of the secrets to experiencing real joy in this life, and the joy of Christ being unlocked in your life. The joy of living life in Christ comes when you take your your vision off of yourself and you get out of selfie mode for a moment and you look up to someone better than yourself, to Jesus. And your eyes go up upon him and you go, wow, would you look at him? And you look at people, the people he's placed in your life and the church that he's placed you in, and you look at them and you see people. You don't judge them, but you see them and you know them and you're known by them. Something changes. And there is joy and satisfaction in getting out of selfie mode. And this morning, I want to talk about that. It's counterintuitive, but the very best thing that you could do for yourself if you want to take care of you is to get yourself out of selfie mode. It's to quit thinking about you, but to be fully present with God and be fully present with the people in your life and the church that He's placed you in. And we're going to be in the book of James this morning. It talks about, in James 2, about favoritism, and it's what we're talking about this morning. We're Coming back into culture codes today, we're talking about presence is greater than preference. And he talks about favoritism and how by always thinking about what I like and and what I prefer, we can lead ourselves into sin and into a selfie, can become a selfish life and it can hurt people and it can hurt yourself and it can undermine your faith and your faithfulness in every way. So James chapter two in your Bible, if you found it, here's the context. James was the first, earliest book written in the New Testament around 48, 49 A.D. He was writing to a church that scattered because of persecution and difficult days. They're a church that wasn't in strength in culture, but was kind of on their back foot. The world didn't appreciate their values, didn't see things the way they saw things. They felt weakened in their culture, and James is writing to encourage them, and he's writing to call them up. It's a book of culture codes, James is, and so it really fits really nicely in the middle of our series, and I was thinking, do any of you have a friend who, when they communicate, it's always just with such gentleness and kindness that even when they're complaining or correcting you, it feels kind of like a compliment. Do you you have any friends like that? They smile, and they could say, you know, you're just a jerk, but they say it in a way that you go, oh, thanks. Thanks. James is nothing like that. James is blunt. He is to the point. He is maybe aggressive, and he doesn't hold his punches. In James 2.14, he says, of what use is it if someone says he has faith but no works? Is that what saving faith really looks like? James, I think, would say talk is cheap. If you say you have a relationship with Jesus, everything in your life ought to be in line with it, and if it's not, it's useless, he says. Later, he says, it's worthless, it's lifeless, he says. Faith without works is what he's to say. He says it's dead. In James 1, he's defining what true religion is. And he says it's taking care of orphans and widows, those who can't take care of themselves in their day. And then he says, that and keeping yourself unstained by the world. What that means is that the way you view Life and people and your days and your moments and the opportunities of your days, the way you value people and all of the days of your life is in line with how God sees things while the world is bombarding you with a different value system and the world is constantly telling you this is what life is about and what's important, this is who's important how important they are and who's not important and what's not of value. You're unstained by it. That doesn't affect you. You continue to seek to live your life and to see people, and to see every day and every moment of your life in the way that God sees things. That's being unstained by the world. And what we'll see is one of the ways that we can be stained by the world is what happens in James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Let me read that to you. It says, My brethren, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, here, you sit here in the good place. And you say to the poor man, "Uh, you stand over there. Sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Here it says, don't show personal favoritism. And favoritism means to be a respecter of persons. It means that you don't look at people and begin to assign value on people and treat people differently based on the way that you see and value them. Favoritism looks out and says, who's there and what do they do for me? What do they bring to my life before you decide how you will act and treat people? And James is describing this kind of discrimination where you, you don't value certain people and you push them aside maybe because you don't like them or prefer them. They're not like you. They're different than you in the way they think or they act. Maybe you don't like their behavior or their manners or maybe you don't understand them or maybe you don't agree with them or, or maybe they don't measure up to you or maybe you're afraid of them. I don't know. Or maybe you you show other people greater value because they have something that you go, I want what they've got and so I'm gonna treat them with greater honor, right? And he says, if you do this, this is, is simply evil. And, and he describes a hypothetical situation, and it's in the church. In the church, there may be some people that when a rich guy walks in, a guy who has power walks in the room, everyone starts going, oh, oh, look, he's here. He's here. Let's make special preparations for him, and they give him careful and special attention. But when someone comes in who isn't that, who doesn't have anything to offer, In this situation, he comes in with dirty clothes, maybe stinky clothes. You go, ah, you need to be over in this place. Or he says, you can sit down by my footstool. And the word footstool implies that maybe this person is even like a footstool to you relationally. Like a conquering warrior or a conquering king would place his foot upon the conquered. Rather than kill them, they put his foot on their neck and show, I have dominance over you. And the bottom line of this corrective word that James is giving is don't assume that one person has more importance than any other person. And don't treat anybody differently than another person simply because you've assigned value to them in one way or another. And I read that, in this week I'm going, this is really embarrassing that this has even had to be written. Think about that. Like I, don't, like I don't want anyone outside of the church to know that this is in our Bible because it's really embarrassing that God knew we would need to hear a word like this. Why does this have to be said to us? It's always going to be like this in the world. But why would it need to be said to, us, said to us? And yet, how many of us know we do this all the time? Don't you know that we do this all the time? How do we do it? Well, think about this. Maybe in big picture, have you ever come near to someone who's famous or pseudo-famous, or someone who is is powerful? They've got a lot, and you notice change starts to happen in you. If you have been in this situation? You go You're thinking about yourself a lot. Like, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? And you know, I want them to think I'm smart. <laughs> I don't want to annoy them. I want them to think I'm cool. What how do I dress? Does my breath stink? <sighs> You know, and you start thinking and acting differently because this is a person who has something. They've got power, they've got kind of glory, and you want to get a little of that on you. And so you start acting and speaking differently. But there are other people who you would avoid at all costs. You see them coming and you like avoid their eyes. You go, oh, I don't want them to notice me because I don't want them to know that I noticed them because I don't want to engage with them at all. And we do it even here, right? Right, Because you walked in one time and you saw some guy and you go, uh I'm going to go way around that, down that hall by the kids' ministry. I don't have kids to drop off, but I'm going that way because I don't want to run in to have to talk to this guy or this girl. I'm going to go the long way around and maybe I can come around the backside and they won't see me and then I'll sneak over to this side and we'll never have to cross paths. You do that. And I've done that and I'm not giving any names. They're not here today, actually. It's, you know, <laughs> it's not any of you. I've never done that. We do this, don't we? We treat people differently because we've assigned value on them based on do I like them or not? Or is it awkward or not? Or do they have something to give or not? And favoritism says, how much do you bring to my life? Because that, that determines how I'm going to engage or participate with you and how I'm going to treat you. And the world will always be like this. The world's always going to treat some people with special attention because they have whatever the world values, money or power or charisma or education or whatever. They're fun to be around and the world will always pay them special attention while stepping on or shunning or avoiding or ignoring other people. But it can never be that way with us. That's what James is saying. The Bible says it should never be that way with us. Writes it to the church because while people are going around in the world, they're experiencing it every day, but it should be totally different when you walk in here. No one should ever experience anything of that kind, we're not to judge people, we're not to value people according to our preferences, we're not to base our activity based on what do you bring to the table for me, and do I like my time with you, and are the things that you're saying and the things that you're doing pleasing to me, and do they fit in line with my preferences and the things that I want to spend my time on in in my life, and so James, he has this unassailable case, I love what he says, verse 1 again, he goes, do not hold your faith in the glorious Lord Jesus with with an attitude of personal favoritism. He says to look to Jesus. That's the the solution here. If you find that happening from within you, he says, look at Jesus. And it's not Jesus is my homeboy. Let's make him just a little bit better than us. It's look at the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal son of God, who's the Prince of Peace, who's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who put everything off to come and live a perfect life and do what I could never do and to do everything for me who defeated death himself. And look at him, risen and ascended and in glory at the right hand of the Father. Look at the glorious Lord Jesus. And look how far he stooped for us because if you see how far, uh, I mean, he's like, he's up here we're so far down here that the gap, the distance between him to us is so great that it eliminates the distance between us and the person we think is the weirdest, most frustrating person in our life. It flattens the curve. And James says, you can't really gaze upon Jesus. Like the the real picture of the glorious Lord Jesus. And still fool around with distinctions between us. Like when you see that, it blows every, it's like way up there and like, we're just all, it's God in us. And James chapter two, verse four says that if we truly are delighting in our salvation and in the love of Christ for us, We're really walking in abundant life, and yet we're still walking around looking at people and looking at the moments of our lives like, how good are you? And what do you bring to my life? And are you worth my time? And is this worth my time? He says, we become judges with evil motives. It's not like that's annoying or a little disappointing. (laughs) We become judges with evil motives. And in the illustration James gives, it's easy to see how that applies to money, but we do this in so many ways and we judge people and we judge our our participation with the church and our our participation in the Christian life in, in so many ways and we decide what we're going to do and how we're going to invest ourselves based on how does this work for me? How do we do this? Well, I mean, I really begin to survey this in the life of the church, in my own life, in the way I see it take place, And I know that there is a tendency in us to overlook bad behavior in people that we like. You know what I'm talking about? If there are people that are fun and funny, they're charismatic, or they give me something that I really enjoy. Well, you know, they get some things we know it's a little off, but we'll just overlook that. That's why we've got a lot of big church pastors and small church pastors who are failing out morally because their churches and their accountability have said, well, they're so dynamic and they're so great and they do so much for us. I know they've got a drinking problem, but eh, it's okay. They're so good when they preach. We overlook bad behavior in people we like, while at the same time we really criticize and come at people we don't like, (laughs) you know? We're harping on this guy because he annoys the snot out of us, so we just, every time he bothers us, we talk about it, but this guy, he's so much fun, so we just overlook it. We do it this way. We're supportive of what the church is doing if it fits our idea of how things should be done, but we check out if it's not in line with what we want done. Yeah? I thought about this one a lot, and I was not going to say it, and I was going to say it, and I was not going to say it, and I was going to say it, and then I'm, we're just going to say it. I look, Say it, okay? I'm going to say it. <laughs> so I looked at the attendance records while I was away on sabbatical for our church on Sundays. And uh, almost every Sunday that I was away on sabbatical, we were around 50 to 75 people less in attendance on Sundays. And I wasn't here, so I don't know what was going on in people's lives or in the church. I was on sabbatical. I was not here But it stood out to me because before and immediately after, we went back to our normal attendance numbers. I don't know. But there it stands. And we do shared leadership, we love shared leadership, it's a value in our church. I love that we have multiple people leading worship and multiple people preaching. We share it with our pastors. And I love that we, we do that. I love that we have lots of people serving in our kids' ministry and they, they rotate. But, but do you ever find yourself going, well, I wonder who's gonna be with my kids today? Do I like them or not? Who do I like better? You know, who's, who's gonna be leading music? Will they do the songs that I like? Are they, are they the ones that I enjoy singing? Do they usually pick the songs that I like or do they don't? And Who's preaching? You know, is it going to be the one that I like or the thing that I like? We do this. We think about this a lot. It happens in life group participation. Don't tell me it doesn't. Most of our church are in life groups, and you all know what the biggest issue with life groups are right now. It's consistency. You're in a life group, you know it. You love each other, and there's a lot of days you go, they know I love them. I got this other thing going on, and I'm just going to choose one. I'm going to always choose the other one. We do it. We show partiality. We do it with men's conferences and women's events. We do it with kids and student ministry events. You know, the, the weekend is coming up next weekend. We look at these things and we go, hmm, I wonder who's gonna be there. And we get our phones out. We're like, hey, are you going to this thing? You know, because if you're going, I'll go. But if this guy's going, I'm not going. If this person goes. And I gotta tell you, this is interesting. I've noticed this after the pandemic season and the years following, it has been so much worse than it was before. I don't know if you've noticed this in the rest of your life. The pandemic season was weird. We were just like like in the pressure cooker of all the things. I'm not talking about any one thing, but all the things that were a part of 2020. And during that season, is it not true that every one of us was assigned the task of making our own decisions for our own life? What are you going to do in terms of health, in terms of finance, in terms of attendance and school and work and church and all of these things. What are you and your house going to do? And we got really, really good at it. If personal autonomy was a muscle, like it was exercised every day and we got so good at it that when we came back into life and back into church, we brought those habits with us. And it has been not just in, in our church, but in the church a massive response or reaction to that pandemic year, the age of personal autonomy has soared and we're so good at the selfie muscle. We're so good at the preference muscle. I will be present if it fits my preference. I was thinking about this. If you were here last week, um, we were looking at Philippians and we, we ended and it was a little cheesy. It's an acronym, but we talked about how in Philippians, it's a book all about joy, joy and about how to have joy in all circumstances. And when it's about humility, it's about joy. When it's about suffering, it's about joy. And I said it's an acronym. It always throughout Philippians is about looking at Christ first, at others second, and yourself last. Jesus, others, yourself. Joy, and it's cheesy. And yet, I tell you, it is the secret to experiencing joy is to look at people and life in that order. It's the same thing here in James chapter 2. And I think far too often what we do is we come together or we think about coming together with the whole thing upside down. We go, I'm coming to be blessed. I've come here for me. And I hope there are people here that I like. And God is good. Amen. Our whole reason for gathering is to bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's the cry of my heart. We come first to bless the Lord, not to get blessed. We don't even come second to bless ourselves. We come to bless others. Don't neglect coming together, Hebrews 10 says, as is the habit of some. But all the more as the day draws near, come together so that we might encourage one another and stir one another up to love and good deeds. That's why we come together. And guess what? When I, I come to bless the Lord, to sing, not so that, that people around me would hear or that my ears would be tickled, but I sing. Like, imagine like a parade of people singing to God, saying, you are good. And I come with that attitude and I come going, how can I help you? How can I encourage you? And, and man, you're here. <laughs> and we do this. We walk away going, oh man, what a great day. I just feel so blessed by the Lord and my church. That's how it works. That's how this whole thing works. But we've become so good at focusing on ourselves. Just like the world. Assigning value based on our preferences. Are you worth it? Is this worth it? Is this worth my time? And it, it, it seems to be, the answer isn't try harder to be nicer. It's not try harder to be better and to not do that, right? The answer is we look at Jesus. That's what James says. Don't look at yourself and your preferences first. Look up. Who? Think about this. Jesus, being God, could have decided this is how I will save people. He could have opened a gateway from heaven like a door in the sky and looked down and said, everyone, look up. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the way of the Father. No one comes to him but by me. And he could have devised some plan for accounting for our sins and said, believe and come up here. But his presence is what was needed. I assume, I imagine, his preference would have been to never leave heaven, where he had only experienced love and glory and peace and perfection. I would imagine it would not have been his preference to be subjected to limitations of a body and to be ridiculed and to be shunned and to be doubted and to be beaten and to be killed, to leave glory and to experience shame. I would imagine it would have been preferable to remain in heaven But his love for us and our great need demanded his presence. And so he put presence over preference. It was the greater need. And he came to us. And that's why Christianity is at its core and in the flesh faith. It's why we can't call it in. Because the originating purpose of who we are is based upon Jesus coming to be in the flesh with us, being present with us. And James says, look, if you're going around showing partiality like the rest of the world, the answer, one, you're being an evil judge, but the answer to that is to look up at our glorious Lord Jesus. And I want to share with you really quickly four stories about Jesus. It could be 40 To the disciples, it could be 4,000 if they told us everything that they saw and everything that they heard of Jesus, but four stories that show you how like the most amazing thing to me, the most awesome thing about Jesus is how he was always in every moment, no matter where he was going, no matter who he was with, no matter what was on his agenda. When he encountered a person, he was present with them. He was fully present with them, and he gave them undivided attention completely. So four stories. The first one is Jesus and blind Bartimaeus. Do you remember this story? Call him blind Bart. Jesus and, and blind Bart. Jesus is coming to Jericho in, in Luke 18. And a crowd of people swelled around him. He has his disciples. He has other followers. He has other people who are fans. And they're coming through. And blind Bartimaeus is a beggar on the side of the road. He's poor. He's dirty. He depends on others for everything. He has nothing to offer to anyone in society. And he hears the chaos. And he calls out, what's going on, guys? And the crowd says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's coming through. And he says, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? Right? And they're all saying, be quiet, be quiet. Jesus is too important. He didn't have time for you. This is Jesus. And it says the people who were in the lead began to tell him sternly, stop it and be quiet. And Jesus says, you guys cut it out. Bring him to me. And so they bring beggar blind Bart over to Jesus. And Jesus says, what is it that you want? He says, oh, just that you would heal me. And Jesus heals him. He looks at him. He listens to him. He stops all other things. It doesn't matter where he was going. It doesn't matter what his people were saying. Ah, he's not important. And they're trying to, it tells them sternly, you be quiet. You're not important enough for Jesus. And Jesus goes, you're important enough for my full attention in this moment. The next story, and right after this one, is Jesus and Zacchaeus. You remember Jesus and Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a person of power and privilege. He was wealthy wealthy. He was also corrupt. He was also a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up into the sycamore tree for the Lord he wished to see. Remember the song? So he's up there, and he is a man of of great wealth and power. And he's also very hated because he's very corrupt. He's a scandal to society. And Jesus walks up to Zacchaeus, and he looks at him, and he says, I must spend time with you today. And it leads to a... Total transformation of Zacchaeus' life. People, he's a scandal to other people, to Jesus. He deserved his full attention in that moment. I'll give you another story. This is a story that, that I love. Jesus is teaching, he's discussing doctrine, he's discussing prayer. It's the story of Jesus and the children. While he's talking about important things with important people, Some people began bringing their babies and young children to Jesus just that they would be close to him, that he might might hold them or touch them for just a moment. And the disciples who had been walking with Jesus and heard everything Jesus had said, they had seen his character on display, they said, stop that. Jesus is too important for children's ministry. Like, he can't be a kids' ministry volunteer because he knows things and has talent and skills. He can't do that. And Jesus says guys, you got it all wrong. Bring the children to me. In fact, he takes this moment to open everyone's eyes. He goes, for it's people like this who belong to the kingdom of God. Those who come not bringing anything and not trying to buy anything, but who just want to be near me. Those are my people, and to them belongs the kingdom of God. give you one more story. Jesus and the hemorrhaging woman This woman had a condition that she had been bleeding for years and years and years and he's coming through and it's a massive crowd of people and she comes close to Jesus and it says that she comes up and she touches just the hem of his cloak and she was healed just by coming that close to him and having faith that if I could be near Jesus, everything in my life might change. And when it happened, Jesus looks out and he goes, who touched me? And people are like, not me. I didn't didn't touch you, it wasn't me. And Peter goes... How on earth would we ever know who touched you, Jesus? There's a massive crowd of people. And I love this line. It says that the woman says that she, she saw that she had gone, she had uh, not gone unnoticed. Jesus noticed her. Something she never would have expected in that moment. And Jesus turned upon her and he looked at her, full attention. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Right? Love this The most striking thing about Jesus is it doesn't matter who you are or what you have, it doesn't matter what you bring to the table, it doesn't matter what he's doing or where he's going or what's on his agenda. He is fully present in the moment. He's all in in the moment. And I, I, I give you those four stories because you've got a, a poor blind beggar who was an annoyance to those who were in the lead walking with Jesus. You've got Zacchaeus who was powerful and wealthy and a scandal in society. You've got the children who were a nuisance and beneath the attention of Jesus. And you've got this woman with a condition that will leave her shunned by somebody in such a massive crowd, probably unnoticed by all. And that's why she felt safe enough to come up and touch the hem of his cloak. But she couldn't go unnoticed when Jesus was there with her because he was all in and he was fully present and the amazing thing that I think about is how the next story could be you or me. The next story is Jesus and Kevin or Jesus and you know, Patty or Jesus and Jessica, Jesus and Phil. Like, we're no different or no better than any of those four stories. Like that's just us. And isn't it, isn't it amazing in the middle of our crazy chaotic lives, the glorious Lord Jesus of James 2 verse 1 gave his full and undivided attention to the needs of your soul and mine. <laughs> That's the thing that shakes you out of walking around with personal favoritism and having preferences. And the sad truth about many churches is that we're just not like this, that our preferences often get in the way of our being fully present with the Lord and with each other. And the irony is that I think that's what leaves so many of us with spiritual boredom, and that's something that I see that is an epidemic in the church throughout our country, and I see it at times in our church as well, spiritual boredom and distraction. I know Jesus. I've got salvation, and, and there's no life or light to me. I'm just kind of, Well, oh. And I think it's because we don't know how to turn off selfie mode. It's never uplifting to look at yourself. Did you realize that? You look in the mirror in the morning. How many of you look in the mirror and go, <laughs> Like It brings no light and life to me to ever stare and gaze upon myself. The more I dwell upon myself, the more depressed I feel. So James says, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal Favoritism. Be all in with the glorious Lord Jesus at all times. Live the way he lived. Love the way he loved. Serve the way he served. Be fully present with him. Be fully present with the people he's put in your life. Be fully present with the church he's placed you in. And if we could learn to be fully present in that way, don't you realize how it would satisfy so many of the distractions and so many of the problems and the troubles that we have and how it would bring such joy and such light into a body, into a church? It would would stir up. our affections. It would stir up faith and good works. And my goodness, it would bear such beautiful fruit that we would all get to enjoy and praise the Lord for, if we could love presence over our own preferences. And the question I want to leave you with is this. Are you willing? I mean, are you truly willing today to set aside your personal preferences? Be fully present, fully committed to what the Lord is seeking to do in your life. Not just in your life, but in the lives of the people he's placed in front of you. Are you, are you willing to set aside your agenda as Jesus did, your preferences? You're willing to set those aside and go, what is the Lord doing with this person? What could he be doing? What, what, what story is he writing? And how could I be a part of that story? Are you willing to fully embrace what the Lord is seeking to do in your community and even through your life? And as I think about that, I, I want to give you a challenge. And the challenge is so simple and it's so practical and it's so clear. And the challenge is, I challenge you for 24 to be all in for everything that we do as a church. Everything. Never miss a Sunday. Some of you work out religiously and you never miss a Monday. Never miss a Sunday. I get it. Sometimes you're out of town. When you're out of town, okay. But otherwise, never go, "Mm, I don't feel like it today. Always be here and never miss out so that you can bless the Lord and you can bless other people. No matter how you feel, be here. If there's a men's ministry or a women's ministry event, be there. If there's a life group gathering, be there and don't think about it. You're always going to be thinking about, well, what I want to do? Strike the question from the record. Never ask it again. If the church is saying, hey, let's go, go. Don't say, well, who's going to be there? Let me check and see. And it's not just about events and attendance. It's about if we call you to prayer, pray. Don't go, oh, okay, it's nice. It's a good idea, good message, you know? If we call you to share the gospel, go and share the gospel. Don't go, mmm, that was nice. Amen, amen. Like, go and share the gospel with somebody. If we say, go live a missional life, let's all go live a missional life. Let's actually do the thing and put it to the test. See if. See if, if you went all the way in fully present with what God is doing and what your church is doing and what other people, what God might be doing in their lives. See if that might not bring joy to your life. To undo spiritual boredom and distraction in your life and have you walking in a place that you might go, oh, this is abundant life. This is what it looks like. I'll give you one last story. Jesus and the rich young ruler and Luke. Remember this guy, this guy, he, he had so much interest in Jesus. He had thoughts about Jesus. He wanted to be close to Jesus. He had been aligning a lot of the activities of his life to be the kind of person he thought Jesus would accept. And he had everything in order. And Jesus said, I want one more thing from you. And he wanted him to move from a quiet, comfortable life into a joyful, abundant life, but knew it meant that he had to reorder the way he valued core values about life. And it says that the rich young ruler went away from Jesus sad. And he did so because he held back. And holding back always leads to sorrow. Here's the amazing thing. We have a God who's all in. Thank God he's all in for us. And he calls us and he enables us to be a people who are all in with him. So are you willing to set aside your preferences and your what you think are your pleasures to be fully present with the Lord and with your church and with your community and on your path with whomever he puts in front of you? So that we'd be a church where it would be said, yeah, this is a church, they value presence over preference. Let me pray for us. Lord it's really easy for us to get our wires crossed and our values inverted and it's because in some ways it's because we're just bombarded every day it's it is spiritual warfare that we face every day and <laughs> if satan wanted us to be aware of his presence and his activity he would you know send visible demons or something and the problem is we would get up in arms and we'd be ready to fight it. But he's a little more clever than that. And he just bombards us every day. with the Desire to please ourselves. To make excuses that my preferences matter more than they do. And it's not a sin or a bad thing. And it's not to like something. But when it controls us and it directs our days, James says we become evil judges, and so we repent, we want to repent of that. Help us to see as you see. Help us to love like you love, to hate what you hate. Help us to, when we look at a person, to never, ever again go, what do they bring to me before we decide how we will act toward them? not outside in our daily lives, not when we come together as a church. God, I thank you for this church, a wonderful, amazing group of your people that you have brought together from different cities and different professions and different backgrounds. They have different stories, but we've all come under this road together. We praise you for that, that you're a God who brings people from all kinds of places into your family. But would you help our family to love more? And help help it be that not one of us walks away from here and says, Hmm, that was a good message, and then just goes back to life. Holy Spirit, would you would you reign in our heads and hearts this week and continue to work James's correction and his exhortation? deep into our minds and hearts so that it would come out in our actions and would we experience real change because of it? May we be a people who, because Jesus was present for us, we make ourselves fully present for others. In Jesus' name.